This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. We move on now uh, to uh, a conversation on fuel retailers. Now, over the past decade, uh, fuel retail has been one of the most resilient segments in the oil and gas industry. The growth of uh, both out-of-home consumption and small format retail has enabled, uh, you know, four courts to capture significant incremental value. And uh, that's also from convenience retail and other non-fuel retail businesses. According to the South African Petroleum Industry Association, businesses in the fuel sub-sector contribute roughly 8% of the country's GDP. That's quite a chunk, sure. So we wanted to speak about this sector in this conversation. I'm joined by Regis Bia, who's CEO of the Fuel Retailers Association, Association, rather reflecting on the sector and also, you know, how people can even begin to explore uh, that if that is what they would like to do you know we like to be a plug of sorts here on power business reggie good evening to you thank you for chatting to us uh, good evening Olitando, and good evening to the listeners uh, reggie maybe we can start off by reflecting on uh, fuel volumes in south africa it has been uh, a rather volatile time from a consumer perspective but as retailers uh, do you know have you felt uh, the volatility that we have had to endure Absolutely. Um, it impacts us all the time, and especially on the uh, fuel prices as well, uh, because most of our uh, <clears throat> operational expenses are actually linked on the pump price. So our pump price is our, like our inflationary uh, point, uh, uh, if you think about it. So when the fuel prices go up, um, our cost increases, but the margin that we get is set, is fixed, cents per litre, and it's only reviewed once a year. So basically 11 months of the year, we are actually very vulnerable, you know, especially when prices go up. And I just like your introduction as a Nolutando, uh, because <clears throat> it helps us also to give some context mm. Uh, just when you look at the pump price, um, let's say of 23 rands uh, on petrol, of that total pump price of 23 rands, only about 6% remains with the retailer. Okay. So <laughs> 94% goes back to the oil company, goes back to the government, and goes back to whoever. Uh, is um, uh, you know is a service provider like the banks, etc. So that is very very important because you know people think you know that the retail service station is a cash cow, but it's mainly uh, sometimes I call them collecting agents mm. because you know 94% of the part of the of the of the cash that a service station service station collects uh, it goes back to someone else. I think that is actually also very uh, important uh, information uh, in, in this discussion. Absolutely agree with you there, Reggie. I think also very sobering for us. And so, of course, uh, the issue of non-fuel retail uh, becomes important, uh, Reggie. Help us understand that aspect of, uh, you know, the ability for retailers to be profitable and sustainable. Yes, definitely. 
But uh, currently the ratios, uh, if you look at the, now the total revenue uh, between fuel and, and, and non-fuel um, uh, uh, centers, uh, you know, fuel uh, is still quite a, a big chunk. I mean, in, in, in some of the areas, it's still sitting at around 80%. So 80% revenue comes from fuel and only 20% from uh, the, the, the other uh, profit streams. Uh, but also if you go to um, other more like, like affluent areas, you know, like your, um, what we call them, the um, urban, urban, mm. urban sites, yeah, that can actually increase the convenience site, uh, size of the business as well. So it varies. So, But in the main, you can work out on an average. We normally use 60% now. Uh, using fuel on average, if we talk, uh, cut across the different sites, and 40% is convenience. We do believe, though, that the future is inconvenient. If you look globally, that's where the future of fuel is, especially when fuel becomes deregulated. If you go to, like, European markets uh, or the U.S. market, uh, actually fuel is just a loss leader. The margins there are almost non-existing. You know, fuel is just used as a loss leader, and because of that, then to sustain the service stations, um, retailers there have really invested more on the convenience uh, retailing side of things. And we actually slowly moving towards that um, kind of trend. And um, you always hear us on media uh, screaming about margins that are falling behind, margins that are not being um, reviewed on time. Uh, because we are a regulated market, so we, we, we depend on the uh, DMRE, which is the regulator, to actually uh, adjust our cost. So it's unlike if you're running, uh, like in a shop. In a shop, if, you know, um, my input cost uh, increases, I'm able to increase the price. So I don't have to wait for a regulator for 12 months to actually, you know, uh, do that for me. So, yeah, so, that, 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 so to answer your question, definitely, and also as the association, we are now actually more and more um, pushing the agenda of convenience retailing because that's where we see the future. You know, Richie, I imagine that there's some listeners at home who are baffled by the fact uh, that, you know, as your margins are being so tightly squeezed, we continue to pay more for petrol, you know. Uh, it affects the cost of all goods. We Petrol has never uh, been a more expensive. We've reached new levels um, in the 20s of rands uh, that we never thought we would reach before, even more than our counterparts in Botswana, for instance, um, and other mm. parts of the region. Mm. So it is a rather confusing one for us. And you said that a lot of this is just owing to all the taxes that we have to pay. Exactly. So <clears throat> there are various inputs into the pump price. Firstly is the uh, what we call a refinery cost, or what we call it the BFP. That is, that is the cost of product. That is actually what makes the prices to change mm-hmm. every month. So that is the cost of uh, transporting the, 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 the oil from uh, the, like your uh, Middle East market. Uh, to to South Africa, that actually makes almost about 60% of the pump price, you know, mm-hmm. and then and that's what keeps on changing every month. The other margins don't change; they change once a year. But then on top of that, then you've got the taxes. Uh, the taxes also makes about 30%, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So you already at like 
you know, uh, very close to 90%, mm-hmm. or sometimes, depending on the BSP, just between the, uh, the, the, the refinery margin, uh, refinery cost plus the taxes, you can easily go to between 70 and 80% of the pump price between those two. So those are the main contributors uh, of the, um, the pump price. Margins are very, are very, very, very small. They, all the margins from wholesaling, uh, distribution, and retailing will make only about 20%. So 80% of the pump price is made by uh, taxes and the BFP. Yes, I'm actually glad that you mentioned, uh, you know, all the other parts of the supply before we get to the retailer side. We've we've often heard, uh, Reggie, people speaking about a reform of the fuel price. Is this practical in South Africa? Uh, Can you repeat again? We've heard people speak of the reform uh, around uh, the fuel price here, you know, uh, removing some taxes and so on. Is this uh, something that is practical, something within our reach here? It is practical, but it's not helpful. Mm. I'll tell you why. I mean, if you go to markets like Germany, I was in Germany last year, and investigated, they are deregulated. But, you know, in Germany, the consumer there, with deregulation, they are even paying more than what a South African consumer will do under regulation. And if you look at the Germans, the taxes there are even worse. I mean, you, they've got like environmental tax, uh, these kind of tax, these kind of tax, I can't even remember. You know, there's about five taxes that are built into the system. You see, even if you deregulate, one truth has got to be told is that fuel is the easiest form of collecting taxes globally. Even you go to UK markets, you find that consumers are screaming and you look into the composition of the pump price, the biggest contributors to the, to the pump price, even in those markets, is the cost of the product, because if you are a net importer, like in UK, like we are here, mm-hmm. that will impact you, the cost of transporting that product. And then plus the government um, taxes and levies. That will never go away, even if we actually um, deregulate. And the cost structures in the BFP, as we call it, uh, has been reviewed a a numerous times. And it's just so difficult to take some of the costs, like, for example, your insurance costs, insuring the product, you know, the freight costs, those are the standard costs that are are built into the system. And the only thing that will actually help is the daily spot prices. Those are the ones that either makes the prices to go up or go down based on the, on the supply and demand. It's very, uh, like I said, very sobering, uh, Reggie, to hear you uh, really unpack this for us. Also, I'm keen to talk about, uh, you know, the refineries, strategic stocks in South Africa, uh, you know, and where we stand in that. Could we uh, increase our refinery capacity with that, uh, you know, contribute differently uh, to uh, the, the fuel price and even how retailers are able to make their money? Yes, um, I have to say I must be very sensitive in how I respond to that okay. uh, <clears throat> question because, you know, uh, there is one school of thought mm-hmm. uh, which says that, you know, if we bring in um, uh, uh, non-refined product like crude oil and we refine it here, 
that obviously keeps the refineries going and it creates jobs. Mm-hmm. That, that is one school of thought. Um, but the other school of thought is saying, well, we are seeing an increase of um, already finished product. So you can actually um, import, you know, finished product. And when you look in globally, there is actually been um, the reduction in the number of refineries globally. So there's been a consolidation. So you, what you tend to find now is just big refineries uh, in fewer areas, uh, and that then deals with the economies of scale, and, uh, and then they actually um, and then dispose the product, which is already finished, you know, versus the, uh, uh, you know, un- unrefined product. So it, it, it's possible to get both. So the question is always, why do I need to bring a refined product when, I mean, an, an, an unrefined product when I can get a refined and finished product? So there's always a debate. But now, currently in South Africa, because of the investment that are required, you know, um, in terms of the Eurospec, I think it's Eurospec 5, uh, you know, with uh, less uh, carbon emissions, those requirements towards green economy, uh, there's huge investments that are required uh, for the refineries to be upgraded. And South African refiner, refineries are actually way back in terms of that. And so, you know, I think the decision for the owners of refineries is what is the best return on my investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I upgrade this, uh, you know, at a huge cost and there's no guaranteed return because the margin needs to be, you know, affected by the DMRE, for example, in a regulated price structure? Or do I just uh, leave, leave as is and just turn it to more like a, 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 you know, um, a terminal to receive the finished product. So that is a badly currently uh, between the decisions of what to do in terms of investing with uh, refineries. Only time will tell, Reggie, we'll be seeing how South Africa plays uh, this one out. We also like uh, here on Power Business, you know, to give people more insights on how they might be able to enter industries. Uh, and I think the, 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 the fuel retailers one is a bit uh, one that looks like a difficult one to get into. Talk to us about that, uh, you know, Reggie. How high are the barriers uh, to entry into this industry? Uh, thanks, Norutandu. Yeah, <clears throat> so the first thing that one needs to understand uh, is that we've got two types of service stations. We say two types of operating platforms. So the, it might be one branch, like BP, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So as a consumer, you won't see the difference. But there is a service station that is owned by BP. So BP is the owner. So we call those company-owned sites. Those make about 60% of the total network, the company-owned site mm-hmm. across all brands. Then you've got what we call the retailer-owned sites. In other words, the retailer owns the assets, like BP. They own the land, they own the buildings, they own the pumps, they own the underground tanks, etc. So that is retailer-owned. And so the difference now is that 
on the retailer owned side, um, the tenure of that business is indefinite. It's my property, I own it, I have a different supply agreement with, with any oil company. In other words, I can shop around mm-hmm. and say, well, if so you can't give me a better deal here, I'm going to go to, to, to engine, et cetera, et cetera. So they've got a leverage mm-hmm. of getting the better returns on the assets because the margins also give a return on assets. So they, they can negotiate and leverage on that score because they own the assets. And then those sides, they hardly come to the market because, you know, it's owned by individuals and it's about 40% of the network. So the 60%, the company owns sites. There, because the company, the oil company owns the assets, all you are buying, and that's very, very important, mm-hmm. you are only buying the business. So it's a friend, and, and, and that relationship is governed through a franchise uh, uh, agreement, and it's for three years, right, mm-hmm. on average. So why there is more opportunity there? Because that three years is not guaranteed for renewal. It is subject to renewal, but the renewal is at the discretion of the oil company. So with now the pressure that uh, has been placed on the all measures to transform the network, that is the only opportunity where they can go. In other words, when those three agreements come to an end, then they can review whether that um, renewal needs to uh, align with transformation, etc., etc. So basically, almost 40% of the network is locked on the retailer own site. I think that's what makes it more harder mm-hmm. to get inside it. And that um, 40%, by the way, because, you know, due to Competitions Act, uh, at, uh, you know, uh, coming into play, uh, there's been not much sharing of information in the industry, mm. and, but uh, there is, uh, you know, sort of like unofficial, you know, um, uh, feedback that says it's now about 50-50 but we're still working on 60-40. So the opportunity is only on the 60% of the market. Uh, I, I hope that makes uh, the, 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 the explanation. Yes. So, but if I then may ex- then ex- explain how do you get into it? Yes, please. The 60%. So the first thing you need to know, most of all, all companies, they've got websites. So you can just go to a Shell BP engine. You'll find that in their website, they will have... Um, something called how to become a franchisee for that brand. That is a start. Mm-hmm. That gives you all the information that they will require from you, all the requirements, and also the application form. So then you then uh, go through that application form, and then, then they will then go through a vetting process. Uh, in the vetting process, what is critical is also you know, things like your, um, uh, your, your, your financial status. Wow. For example, if you are listed, you know, in one of these credit periods, um, you are automatically excluded. You know, if you are got a criminal record, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'll go to those people then, who then qualify that first phase. Then they'll look into their profile in terms of your uh, experience, you know, knowledge of the industry, which 
based on the how you answer the questions on the application form. And then they place you on a pipeline. And then as and when these uh, service stations in the 60% uh, category I was talking about becomes available, then they will then call then the, the shortlisted uh, uh, candidates for an interview. And then in an interview, obviously, you need to come and present a comprehensive business plan, mm-hmm. which is very, very important because they will give you the site that you're actually applying for. So you'll have to go to that site, they'll give you some information that is necessary for you to do a, a, a proper business plan, but most of it you're going to need to do your own due diligence, you need to go to your own research around the brand as well, around the site, around the location. And then when you then uh, then become successful, so there might be 15 applicants for one site or even more. So whoever is successful, then they then uh, get presented with a franchise agreement for three years that I'm talking about. Then you then have to go to the Department of Minerals and Energy to apply for what we call a retail license. That currently is supposed to be 90 days, but with the backlog, sometimes they, I mean, it, it can take longer. But the regulation says, you know, you must get an answer within, you know, 90 days. So then once you've got then the retail license, then you can operate. Most importantly in the interview, the things that they will actually be popping for is funding. Funding is critical. So mm-hmm. funding, most of them, they require a 20% unencumbered cash. And the reason for the 20% unencumbered cash is to say, well, you must show some kind of commitment. In the past, you know, with transformation coming in, uh, there were actually efforts of going 100% gearing. In other words, if you actually uh, have passed the interview, then they, they, they will make some arrangement with some, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> development funders like NEF, IDC, CIFA, and then you get 100% funding. But most of those deals have actually had their own shortcomings. We've got a different view as FRA on that, but I think we'll let's stick with the process. So that's what the process says. Then if you've got a 20%, something can go down at 10%. We also have as FRA banks uh, that have really shown very keen interest. They're actually funding a lot of successful candidates, uh, the likes of NetBank, uh, which has got a partnership with the FRA and some of the oil companies the likes of APSA, so they've got a great appetite. But then you've got also your developmental institutions like, you know, FIFA, IDC, NEF. And some of the oil companies, for example, like BP, mm. BP has been very proactive, for example, they had a partnership with FIFA. So it makes the, the process easier for their successful uh, applicants uh, because they've got a partnership with FIFA, which defines exactly what support CIFA needs to bring into the table to ensure that um, the applicant doesn't default. And BP also put on the partnership, what is BP going to be doing to ensure that they support um, the incumbent? So, so that both of them are looking at these areas. And then also um, in terms of the requirements, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mainly the critical skills that uh, they would look for would be your 
uh, financial understanding yeah. because you're dealing with a lot of cash, you know, you know, in cash flow and management. Mm-hmm. So you have to have an understanding of that. Operations is key. I mean, this is a 24-7 business. Mm-hmm. You need to be having your fingers uh, all over the place in one time and, and be able to set up your structures and systems and processes and manage them properly. And then also people management skills, because you're dealing with a lot of employees in the service station, and you know that the, the challenges that have come there in terms of the Labor Relations Act. Mm-hmm. And also because it is a regulated industry, you need to have a fair understanding of the legislation governing the fuel sector and the regulations. But in the main, yes. we as association take care of that. That's our key role. So if you join in, then we actually drive those. We are the ones that go and negotiate the margin for you with the department. Yeah, and also ensure that there's proper amendment processes and regulations and enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. So we guide our members on that, but there is just a little bit of knowledge that you also require to have. Alright, it's all we have time for this evening. I'd like to thank you for that comprehensive and I think really, like I said, shedding light to an industry that many people uh, may not understand and also on how people can plug themselves if uh, they have a desire to do so. Thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's my pleasure, Nontando. Thank you for the opportunity. Wonderful. Go well, sir. That's Reggie Spia, CEO at the Fuel Retailers Association. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.